Now we're going to be receiving a message from Michael Turner. I just invite you on up here. Um, I have the pleasure of introducing him once again. I know he's been here and you've seen him on a screen at the last week during our service, a brief introduction, but just inviting you here to uh, bring us a message, but above and beyond that, um, to candidate for our lead pastor position here at Sear Valley. So welcome here. And I just pray the Holy Spirit breathe within you as you bring us message. And that's our prayer here this morning. So welcome here. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. We're starting with applause before the message. That's a, that's a little uh, optimistic. No, it's great to be here with you guys this morning. Um, yeah, I love driving out the valley here. And is it, every time I drive out, it seems to get a little bit rainier, which might scare some people away. But growing up on the coast of Washington State, it's kind of like Tofino, where you just live in the gray, drizzly rain all the time. So it feels a little bit like home. So it's exciting. It's good. And I'm really happy to be here candidating, getting to know you better, and kind of that stage where we spend time together, we get to know each other well, and really discern whether this is where God's leading us next for the future of Cedar Valley. Uh, yeah, with that being said, we're jumping into a message uh, Grant started off an awesome series this year, kind of on what the church, what it means to be the church here at Cedar Valley. Ready, set, and then each week we say something other than go. Um, so you get excited for ready, set, go. No, not go. Uh, and today is ready, set, live. The long title of the sermon is ready, set, live the life of Christ. But that's not kind of long and clunky, so it's, the title is ready, set, live. And we'll be looking at... 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter's actually speaking to these people that have been scattered out. Um, the book of 1 Peter was written to those who were originally from Israel. They were Jewish. They had practiced the Jewish faith. And then when Christ came and said, hey, here's what's next, they had stepped into that. They had become followers of Christ. But they weren't living in Israel. They were spread out across the Roman Empire and they felt kind of on their own, a little bit lonely, like they were different than those around them. And Peter writes to them to give them encouragement for how to live as followers of Christ, what it means to be the church, even when they're not surrounded by a ton of other believers. So let's look at that together to get this morning started. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as outsiders, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, those that just aren't followers of Jesus, that though they may even accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is a lot. There's a lot going on in that passage. But before we dig into it, I want to just pray real quick, and then we'll get into it. God, we're so thankful to be here this morning. 
We're thankful that we get to gather together as your church here in Mission, that we get to hear the words that you inspired 2,000 years ago, that you continue to be so faithful to speak through, to encourage us, to walk with us as we live our lives here, as we seek to know you better and to follow you and to share with our community who you are. I pray that the message this morning would inspire us to the life that you've created us for, that we would step out of our past and into the future that you've made us for and live lives more like you and less like who we used to be. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so this week I came across something, and it was like a news story that makes you feel really bad about yourself. Um, like you hear about like crazy things people do. There's a woman in Australia who ran not one marathon, not 15 marathons. She ran 150 marathons in 150 days. Which I don't know, does anybody here like kind of think of themselves as a runner? Maybe you've run 5K in the last year, 10 years. Anybody? Nobody wants to admit it. Either we're a church that doesn't work out or nobody wants to admit that they actually exercise. I don't know. Like, I think of myself as a runner. Some months I run a few times. Some months I don't run at all. I've not run a marathon yet. But sometimes when you hear a story like that where you're like, there's everybody who's like, oh, man, I could never do that. And then there's that person who's like, oh, yeah. I, they're sitting on the couch next to you. You tell them, oh, yeah, there's this woman in Australia that ran 150 marathons in 150 days. And they sit, they're sitting there next to you, and they're like, yeah, I could probably do that too. And if they look like me, you just laugh at them, and you're like, no, no, you're not that. You're like, that's nice, but no. But then there's that person that like, says that, and you're like, maybe you could. Like, you do a lot of CrossFit. You're like, you're really fit. You go to the gym all the time. I've never seen you run, but you probably could. But we don't know because you've never done that. And we run into that situation all the time in life. Like, have you ever known somebody that's gone to school and they've gotten their bachelor's degree? And you're like, okay, now you're going to go work in your field with what you studied. But then they go back and they get their master's and they learn more. And you're like, you should be really good at your field of study now, right? And then they go and they get their doctorate. And then you don't know, but, then they never, but you never actually see them do the work. And you're like, it seems like you're really smart. You're really equipped to be incredibly whatever, a doctor of whatever, but you never actually do the work. And that can happen with hobbies. There's a person that collects all the stuff for their hobby. Like I'm into coffee and I've got like five different devices to make one cup, into little cup of coffee. And it takes five steps and it's crazy. And you can collect all the stuff and maybe you don't actually make coffee because it's too much work in the morning when you get up and you're like, I have to do five different devices to get my cup of coffee. Or that person that like they had their dream car, maybe before they even had their learners, they're like, oh man, I dream of one day owning whatever that car was, your Camaro or your Mustang. I don't know what you like. But they had that dream car and they work hard, they save their money, they buy that dream car, they restore it, it's in their garage, it's pristine. But if you're their friend, or unfortunately, maybe you're even married to this person with their dream car, you have the question of, does the car even run? I've never seen it leave the garage. 
And we've just done a series on what it means to be the church, why it's so important to gather together and what, we, what it means to be together and to be healthy. And we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says, you are the body of Christ. And if you think of a body, you want to be healthy, you want to be strong, you want to eat well, you want to work out. And as a church, we can be incredibly fit. You can be like one of those churches where you're like, you look at them and you're like, man, that church is buff, they're fit, they eat right, they're so healthy. Sunday mornings here could be amazing. But sometimes it's like that person sitting on the couch who's like, yeah, I could run 150 marathons in 150 days. Well, probably not, but I could definitely run one. But they never sign up for the race. They never actually go out and do it. And that's a challenge for us as a church because we can be so focused on getting healthy and functioning well and being like, man, we're a great church. Our giving's up, our volunteering's up. We're great. But we're the body of Christ. And we're, we weren't made to be a good-looking body. We were made to be a functional body. We weren't made to be the person with lots of muscles who's like, yeah, I could, I could work all day, but I've never picked up a shovel or lifted a bale of hay or whatever that work is. It's interesting because Jesus came to earth and he lived as fully human and fully God for 33 years on earth. So he set this example of what it means for a human to really live as God created humans to live for 33 years. And he did amazing things. He died. Three days later, he rose back to life. Then he spent a, couple, a little bit more time on earth before he ascended back to heaven. And people could have seen all the things he did and they were like, this is amazing. I want Jesus to stay forever on earth. I don't know if you ever read through the stories of what Jesus did and you're like, man, I wish Jesus was still here. I could see him working. And when he before he ascended to heaven, he didn't say, hey, like, this was great. It was so awesome doing all these things. Um, I'm going to leave for a few thousand years. Uh, so just hang tight and wait for me to come back. What Jesus actually said was he said, don't worry that I'm leaving you because I'm leaving my spirit with you to live in you as followers of Jesus so that my work can, can continue even though I leave. My spirit's still present and I want to live and continue the work that I've been doing through you. That was the start of the church. When we talk about being the body of Christ, it's because literally the spirit of God lives in us and God wants our bodies to physically live the life that he started. So how do we get there? How do we do that? How do we not just be like, hey, I'm a really healthy part of the body of Christ, but I'm just here. And this is what Peter gets into. This is what Peter starts to describe. So let's look through this passage again, starting at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is an interesting way to start the passage, saying this is who you are. And when Peter was saying this to the early church, he wasn't saying for the last 50, 100 years, you've been God's chosen people because Christ started the church. This is actually referencing way back to a moment that we see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. We see what this is referencing. Because in Genesis... God spoke to a man by the name of Abram, later known as Abraham. And he says something really special. Let's look at that together. 
The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Thousands of years before Christ came to earth, God already said, I'm choosing a people, and I'm asking them. I'm saying, I will bless them so they can be a blessing to all nations, to all people. And for a few thousand years, God did that through the nation of Israel. And so Peter started off saying, hey, this is not new. This was the call of the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. But with the coming of Christ, it changed from being the chosen nation of Israel to anyone who is a follower of Jesus is part of God's chosen people that he wants to bless so they can be a blessing to the community around them. So that sets the foundation. And then Peter starts to give a few directions. There's three directions we're going to see as we look through here. So he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying, because you're God's chosen people, God's blessed you. He's given to you. Now it's time to go and declare what God has done in your life and share that with others. And then he follows it up. There's a few more directions. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from your sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Part of our purpose, part of what interacting with our community, being a blessing to those around us looks like, is actually choosing to abstain from the sinful desires that are inside of us, saying, I've got a sinful desire inside of me, but I'm going to choose not to practice that because of the impact that's going to have. And then finally, this is the key of it, live such good lives among the pagans, those that are unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's interesting. It doesn't say live such good lives away from those who don't know Jesus. It doesn't say live such good lives in the church building that those that don't know about God come and glorify God. No, it says live such good lives among those that don't know God. And maybe you feel that because most of us have some communities in our lives where everyone is a follower of God. We come to church us and we're like, hey, this is so exciting. This is so nice that everyone is like us. But we go to work or we go to school or we go and hang out with our fishing buddies or our knitting club. And we go out and we feel like a foreigner. We feel like an outsider because we just see the world differently. We live our life differently because we're a follower of Jesus and our boss might not be. Our best friend might not be. Our neighbor in our apartment building might not be, but we're living life with them. We're standing in line at the grocery store. You're surrounded by people 
who don't know Jesus the way that you know Jesus. They aren't followers of Jesus. And you can feel like an outsider. You can, and sometimes you can feel like lonely and isolated and attacked even. But this is what God calls us to. He's saying, go and live your life among those that aren't followers of Jesus. So how do we do that? I think the best example is to look at the life of Christ. Because God's calling us to live the life of Christ now as we're filled by his spirit. So what did Christ himself do and say? How did he declare? How did he abstain? How did he live? I want to look at that together. And as we look at that together, I want us to look at what Christ did, what maybe we're already doing or what we can do as a church community, and what it looks like when we're away from our community on our own as part of the church, but out there on our own and the communities that we're a part of. And I want us to be really, like, I'm going to give some suggestions, some ideas, but I want us to be listening for what God might be prompting you to start doing, where God might say, hey, I have an opportunity for you in this community, in this friendship, in, at work, with this person that maybe you haven't noticed before of how you can be the church in mission, or if you commute a long ways in, in Agassiz. Let's look at this together. In Mark chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, we're getting, or this is jumping at the end of a story. Jesus had met a man who was filled with demons, and he cast those demons out into some pigs. The pigs then ran into a lake and drowned. Um, it was a bad day for the pigs, but it was a good day for this man. And if you can imagine that sense of going from darkness into light that he just experienced. He must have been so excited. He must have wanted more of that. But let's look at what Jesus says. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but instead said, go home to your own people, to your own community, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. It's exciting when God works in our lives, and we just want more of it. When we see God work in our lives, we're like, I want to go to small group more. I want to be at church more. And there's a good place for that. But sometimes the call of Jesus in our lives is to say, I've done this. I've blessed you, so now you can go be a blessing. I've brought you from darkness into light. I've given you my mercy so that then you can go and declare that to those around you. As a church, it's amazing. I heard rumors that last year we did Freedom Session here at Cedar Valley. And I love Freedom Session because Freedom Session is about experiencing the light of Christ in the darkest areas of your life. And so much of what happens in Freedom Session when you're inviting somebody to Freedom Session, at least when I have, is you say, when I went to Freedom Session, there's areas of darkness in my life that God brought his light to and he brought his healing to and he showed his mercy and it changed me so much. And when you do Freedom Session, when you're leading Freedom Session with others, as a church, we're able to invite our community into that. We're able to declare what God has done and say he can do it in your life too. That's just an example of what God's already doing here. And in our own lives, 
it can be hard to declare what God's doing. Like, I don't know, that intimidates me at times. But the biggest, some of the biggest things that have happened in my faith, the, the kind of foundation where when I'm doubting God, I'm like, I'm pretty, even though I don't know what, about what's going on in my life, I have faith in God. I know that he will work. Is because I've had different people. I remember I had kind of an adopted grandpa. He was somebody I did long care for, and he kind of adopted me a bit. But he would tell me about how God worked in his life. He would tell me about what was going wrong in his 20s and his 30s, but then how God kept changing him. And even, in, the la- even when he, in his 70s, God was still changing him. God was still taking away his anger and his, the hurt that he was doing and replacing that with kindness. And that, that changed my life, that he would declare what God was doing in his life to me. And so each of us individually in our own lives, we're parts of different communities. And maybe it's declaring to your kids or your grandkids how God's been changing your life. Maybe it's talking to your parents about how God's changing your life. Maybe it's when somebody asks you how you're doing at work and you could do the standard, oh yeah, this is what I did this weekend conversation. You could also be a little bit deeper and be like, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I've had this going on in my life, this issue, and I've been growing in that. It's really exciting to me because God did that. In every opportunity, in every friendship, that we have in our life, there's this opportunity to actually declare what God is doing in us rather than keeping it to ourselves. So let's look at the second part. If we flip over to Mark chapter 7, verses 17 to 23, it's interesting. I, when I read through the passage and it had this section on abstain, I kind of wanted to skip that because teaching on abstain is a little bit of a tricky topic. I don't know. I just don't like the word. I'll be honest. It's one of those things where I'm like, this feels very negative. But as I dug into it, I was, when I was flipping through the story of Jesus and how he practiced these things, I did not do a deep study. I literally just flipped through the book of Mark and was like, okay, where did Jesus talk about abstaining or take action on that? What can we learn from that? And it was interesting what we came across because in Mark chapter 7, verses 17 to 23, um, we come in again at the tail end of a situation. Jesus and his followers had not been practicing the laws on what they were allowed to eat and what they were not allowed to eat, the religious laws on that. And the religious teachers were pretty upset that they were not abstaining from eating certain foods. But let's see what Jesus says about this topic. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, don't you, see that the, that, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of their body. The food isn't the big deal. But, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And Peter was writing to the church after Jesus had said this. As one of his disciples, he was probably there when Jesus gave this teaching. So when he's saying abstain, he's not saying, hey, let's make a long list of all the things 
as the church that we're going to abstain from. There's wisdom to abstaining from some physical things. But oftentimes what happens is our church, particularly like right now in Canada, the church is known for two things. We're known for what we abstain from consuming, where they're like, like if I tell somebody that I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, so you don't swear and you don't drink and you don't this and you don't that. It's like, well, yes, some of those are, I don't do or whatever. But we're known for the list of things we don't do. But then there's things that we come from within our hearts that we don't abstain from. Honestly, if I talk to people from outside of the church community in Canada, they know the church for not abstaining from hate, for not abstaining from abuse, for not abstaining from inappropriate uses of power and control. And those are things that come from our heart. Those are things where we have, like, in every human, there is the sinful desires that are in our heart. There's not a question of whether it's there. We have desires for greed. We have desires for anger. We have desires for hate. We have desires for all these things. But we have to choose whether we're going to have that war in our soul and say no to them. And that's so much of what it means to be the presence of Christ and live the life of Christ in our community. Because Christ was pretty controversial in his time because he would go to parties. He would go to places where people were doing very sinful things and he would be around that. And he would be friends with them. He did not say, oh, I'm going to stay in the place where everybody follows the same rules as I do. But then what was transformative is they would see him in their space but then he would be living life differently. What came out of him was not the greed and the selfishness and all the sin that they were living, but what came out of him was a love and a value for each of them, making a place for them in communities where they would have been excluded. And so as a church, we have a challenge right now and a bit of an opportunity to repent of the precedent that as a church in this whole country we've set to start to abstain from some of those attitudes that have damaged those around us and become known instead for the good things that can flow out of us. In our own lives, I think it plays out similarly because in our own lives, it's really easy to follow the rules of, okay, I don't yell, I don't do this bad thing, I don't do that bad thing. But the ways that people get to know who Christ is, when we live the life of Christ at work, it means when your boss or your employee is doing something really dumb and you really want to tell them what you think of them, choosing to abstain from that and choosing to instead find some loving, helpful words to speak into their life. It means when you're dealing with somebody at the grocery store who for whatever reason, they're not making your life easy. Rather than letting yourself get let those bad attitudes that are in you flow out, going, I'm going to abstain from that. I'm going to lean into the opportunity that I have here to share the heart of God with them. And that can play out at home with our kids, with our spouse. That can play out at work. That can play out on our sports teams. That can play out everywhere. 
that can play out particularly online. That's one of those things that will catch you because you're like, I'm looking at a computer, I'm dealing with a computer. No, we're all a bunch of people writing, typing things out, reading those things, creating videos and photos. So what, what's flowing out of me? Is there anything that's flowing out of me in the different communities I'm a part of that doesn't look like the life of Christ that I need to abstain from? And then finally, my favorite part is that direction that P- Peter gave to live a life of such good deeds that those around you glorify God. And in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, we come across Jesus just living life. It's a really great moment. Let's see where that's at. Okay. So that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. This is the other side of a lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall, a big storm came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly swamped. It was taken on water. The water is supposed to stay outside the boat, but now it's inside the boat. Jesus was in the stern. He was in the back of the boat, just sleeping on a cushion, living his best life, just rocked to sleep. I don't know. Maybe he slept like a baby. I don't know. But he was sleeping in the back. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? It's kind of a harsh, demanding thing to say, but I don't know. It's the middle of a storm. You think you're about to die. I might yell at somebody. They're like, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Because at this point, they knew he was a good teacher, but they didn't really quite get that he had the power of God in him. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And once you'd lived life with Christ, because this is just a normal moment. This is just a normal moment in life. They were always taking boats across the lake, And this time a storm came up and they thought they were going to die. Some of us are always driving across the Coquihalla in the middle of the winter. And suddenly you thought you were driving down the road, but instead you're sliding towards the ditch. I don't know. I try not to do that during the winter. I try to stay home and not drive into the mountains. But some people do that. But we have these moments of everyday life where suddenly we're like, we can't fix this anymore. We need a supernatural power. Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was in the back of your car when you're about to slide off the highway? Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was on the board of your company when their business is about to fail and you can't figure out how to fix it? Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus was in the room when you're having an argument in your family that you don't think you're going to be able to resolve, that you're going to be able to fix? You can imagine these disciples after a while are like, oh yeah, something's going wrong. Hey Jesus, can you fix that for us real quick? They got used to that. But like I said earlier, when Jesus left earth and ascended to heaven, he did not say, okay guys, it's all done for now. Wait till I come back in a few thousand years. He did not say that. 
No, Jesus said, I am leaving my spirit here with you to live in you and work through you. So that means when your car is about to slide off the road, you have the same power as Jesus had to pray to God and give him the opportunity to work in that situation. When you're sitting in the board meeting and your business, your organization is about to fail and you see no answers, you have the same power as Jesus would have sitting there. You have his spirit in you. When you're in that conflict with your family and you think this might be the end of that relationship in your family and you just wish that Jesus could step in and bring some peace to it, you have the same power that he would have. You have his spirit in you. And so when it comes to being the church, living life, living the life of Christ as we're filled with his spirit in our community, it means when we're in those situations, rather than being like, man, I wish Jesus could be here, we can say, Christ is in me. And so I'm going to reach out to God and see what he may want to do through me in this situation. And that gets a little crazy and uncomfortable. That can get a little interesting because how many, how many times do you really want to pray at work? You don't have to be crazy and flamboyant about it. You don't have to make a big deal out of it. But going, this is out of control. I wish Jesus could step in. Be a part of the life of Christ. Be bodies. Be God's body here on earth. Be Christ's body here on earth and step in. As a church, it's often going, what blessings has God given us that we can bless those around us with? It's awesome because this year we did hampers. We did these buckets that we put together. And some of us have been blessed financially. And so we can buy things to put in these buckets. Some of us have been blessed with time so we can be here putting stuff in buckets. Some of us have been blessed relationally so that we can... Instead of just handing somebody a bucket, we can actually have a conversation and care about them. But in every opportunity, whether it's here at church together or whether it's on your own, when you feel like an outsider or an exile, a bit of a foreigner in whatever community you're a part of, living as the body of Christ here on earth, being the church in every sense, not just sitting on the couch and saying, I can run a marathon, but actually getting out there putting your shoes on and running that marathon. Looks like going, what would Christ be doing in this situation? He's given me the same power as he has to step in and be his hands and his feet and his mouth and his ears and his arms in this situation. And that's what it really means to say, ready, set, live the life of Christ. And here in mission, I think it's interesting because getting to know you as a church, doing this interview and then candidating process, I'm not just getting to know the people in the building, but I'm trying to get to know the community, trying to understand what God might be calling us to as a church in this community. And I see so many opportunities. We live in a community where there's so many families that are struggling with different forms of brokenness that are looking for healing and hope in that. We live in a community where there's lots of addiction that God has hope and healing for. We're living in a community 
where there's young families moving in because like I was living in Surrey and I was looking at buying a house here just because I could afford a house here, not because I had family here. And you have young families moving in who don't have the parents and the grandparents and the aunts and uncles to support them. And there's people that need family here. When you look here in mission, some of the greatest needs that Christ would see, can Cedar Valley be part of meeting those needs? Can we step in? Can we say God has hope for you and God wants to work through us physically entering your lives to step into your broken family and bring healing, to step into your addiction and bring hope and healing, to surround those that they might have it together but they don't have family and say, hey, we're going to be your family. We're going to adopt you as our family and help you as you raise your kids here. That's the opportunity that I see But I warned you beforehand, I warned you beforehand that I wanted you to be thinking about what community are you a part of that God might want you to live a little bit more like him in that community. Maybe there's an opportunity that you've been missing and he wants to open your eyes up to that. Maybe in your home, maybe in your workplace, maybe with your friends, maybe with your neighbors, maybe when you're just running errands and you're at the bank. Maybe there's a community that God's saying, I want you to declare a bit more of what God's done in my life to the people here. Maybe saying, this is a place where I want you to be a bit more intentional about what you abstain from when you're in this community. And abstain from the words, speaking some words, abstain from having some attitudes, abstain from taking some actions. Or maybe it's a community where you just need to live more fully and step into the life of Christ that he's given us through his spirit. So I want you to do something really uncomfortable. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and ask them this question. Don't ask them the details. That's too uncomfortable. But I want you to turn to somebody next to you and ask them, what's a community in your life that maybe God's calling you to live a little bit more intentionally like Christ in that community. So I'm going to give you about a minute to do that. All right. Well, hopefully that uh, started a great conversation. And maybe it led into another conversation. Maybe you're becoming better friends with somebody you haven't met before. I won't object to that happening too. But I'd really encourage you, if God brings so much of being the church is simply opening our eyes up and saying, God has given us the power to live like Christ and be the body of Christ. He's put each of us in different places. Some of us live in communities where we're surrounded by family. Some of us live in communities where we don't have a single family member near us. And he's calling us to be family to those people. But he's placed each of us as different parts of the body in different parts of this community. And so we come here together. We become healthy. It's like hitting the gym. It's like eating right, being part of this church community together so that we can use that strength. We can use our health as the body of Christ to step out into each of our individual communities and serve them and let this place not be a place Let the city not be a city that wishes that Christ was present, but it's a city where in every corner of the city, each one of us is bringing the presence of Christ.
It's pretty amazing. I'd love to close this up in prayer. Lord, it's both a blessing and incredible responsibility getting to be your body here on earth. It's intimidating when we think about what you've done, the example that you set in your 33 years here on earth, and that you invite us into that. But it's amazing to know that the same power that you worked in your miracles, in your conversations, in every context you're in, that same power you have given that to us. I pray that as a community this year, we would rely on our church, that we rely on our church to be a place where we grow and we find new health and we receive your mercy in a new way. We receive your light bringing us out of darkness in a new way. But that that would not stay here. That would be something that we receive so that we can go out and bless our community through that. In your name, amen.